Welcome to the Forbes China Entrepreneur Show. We interview experts in tech and business, as well as share news and insights from on the ground in China. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Welcome everybody to the first episode of the Forbes China Entrepreneur Show. I'm Mike Michelini, and this is the first one of a long series. And I'm really excited to start this journey with everybody listening on today. We're gonna take the show about entrepreneurs doing business here on the ground in China, risking it all to build and grow their businesses. Today's our very first show, and we have Zach Hoken, a co-founder of MakerBot 3D Printing, which is a pioneer in the 3D printing revolution around the world, which is based in America. He's been in Shenzhen for many years in China doing business, and I'm really happy to have been able to interview him and talk about his experiences in MakerBot as well as his future experiences in business in China. So let's listen up. Okay, thank you guys for tuning in. We have Zach with us today. Thank you for being here, Zach. Yeah, it's good to be here, Mike. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure.、Uh, so I go by Zach Hoken, and、uh, I'm a maker, hacker, entrepreneur, traveler kind of person. So I guess my my big claim to fame is、uh, I was one of the co-founders of MakerBot Industries, and we're basically the company that made desktop 3D printing a reality. And、uh, now I just kick it in Shenzhen and and Texas and build stuff and tinker and try and invent new things. That's awesome. Yeah, we we've just been catching up a little bit here, and and I also heard your speech at the Generator Conference just a little bit over a week ago. So it also kind of is really good、uh, content that maybe we can also go over a little bit today on the show. So. Maybe we'll just quickly talk about MakerBot first, and then we'll go into the future. I think a lot of our listeners will will be curious to know maybe how how it got started. Yeah, sure. So,、um, you know, MakerBot is something for me that's、um, kind of in the past for the most part. I left the company about two years ago, and then the the company was sold to Stratasys a year ago. So, which was pretty nice. But kind of going way back to the the genesis of the company, back in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I was just in New York、uh, working as a web developer, and、uh, I I started getting into the DIY three D printer scene, and and during that time, it was all RepRap, and RepRap is this open source project to make. A 3D printer that can print its own parts, and you know, in the in the 2007 2008 era, it was really really crude, and you know, the, pretty much nobody had a fully working machine, and the instructions were were pretty much okay. Make this PCB, and then solder the components on, and and it was literally make the PCB, and so. I didn't know anything about electrical or mechanical engineering, but I wanted to build one, and so I got in there and said, "Okay, well, we have these digital design files for the PCB. How do we get them made professionally?" And so I kind of like went down that path and and really dug into it and figured out, "All right, how does this work?" And so found a company to make them, and the cost for one was about the same as the cost for fifty. And so I said, "All right, well, hey, everyone on the forums." I'm, I want to get real PCBs for this.、Uh, is anybody want to kind of do a group buy? And so that turned out to be really popular. And、uh, what I found out is that in the world of hardware, the kind of volume discounts you get for stuff is is a major thing. So、uh, I kind of became this sort of I don't know nexus or like the go-to guy for. 
doing these group buys and it just kind of snowballed into a quasi business and it was all open source. So it was kind of done as like a research sort of thing with like no real business plan. Cause it was just like, Hey, I want I want these parts. It's easier for me to get them if I help other people get them as well. And, uh, you know, one day I looked at the, there was an online store and, and, just to make it easier for people to kind of get in on the group buys and uh, just look through the stats. And it's like, oh my God, I did, you know, a hundred thousand in revenue in the last year, just kind of, you know, doing a hobby. And uh, one of the reasons I moved to New York was to kind of nurse my financial wounds from the previous startup and pay off my college debt and stuff like that. And so at that point in time, I, realized, okay, I've paid off all my loans. I paid my buddy off for the business we had started and, and, you know, the money we had borrowed and said, Hey, maybe uh, 3d printers would be a good, good business to do. And so got into that, found a couple of friends, convinced them to quit their jobs and, and join on. And then, so I left in, in August of 2008 to start this company. And then we officially incorporated on January 1st of 2009. And uh, from there, it just kind of snowballed. We, we made a product, we shipped it, we improved it, listened to the customers, just kept at it. And uh, it turned out to be really, really popular. We were in the right place at the right time. My partner, Bree, was just really good at getting media and press and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, kind of went through the typical seed round, series A, series B, and then... Uh, I guess uh, I wasn't there for the sale, but I guess we got an offer they couldn't refuse. So then company got sold and now I just uh, get to go back to hacking and, and working on stuff and doing what I enjoy. Cool. Thanks for that, that uh, story. So you're, we're both here in China and maybe what, 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 how has your experience been here in China and, and compared to the U.S.? I know we were at the Maker Fair in just a couple weeks ago, and the trend now is like you know the U.S. and the and and China like for hardware. And what, what's your feeling about that? Yeah, so I came out to China originally for a MakerBot to set up manufacturing with like a a big factory, and you know our plan was we were doing real basic. We were assembling. Well, we were building kits and packing kits into boxes for our customers to do the assembly. And we really wanted to step it up to the next level. And uh, pretty much everyone we talked to said, hey, you should go to China because that's where the consumer products of the world get made. And so we said, all right, that sounds good. Let's let's do it. And so I was kind of in charge of the engineering and product design. So I... Uh, hopped on a plane and came over here and we worked with a couple of people to find a factory and, you know, came out here and did this. Unfortunately, being a complete newbie and, and trying to build an insanely complicated product, it, it kind of fell through and also had some like startup founder drama at the same time that was related, but probably not entirely due to the, the challenges of being in China. And so it all kind of fell through and they they decided to close down the China branch, but I really had fallen in love with the sort of area. I mean, it's such an adventure out here and the resources to build stuff are just incredible. I mean, there's, from my apartment, like I can ride my bike 
10 minutes and find a whole little village of laser cutters and CNC people and raw materials and hardware stores. And it's amazing because, you know, I live in downtown Shenzhen, which is a city of 10 million people. And it's so accessible. And, you know, and then you throw in things like Huachan Bay with the world's biggest electronics market where you can get literally anything for pretty cheap. And then Taobao, which is just the most insane online marketplace you've ever been to. And it just, as someone who likes building and making stuff, it, it is just literally the best place in the world that I've been to. And, and I've traveled around quite a bit. I've been to Europe, been to a bunch of places in Asia, been around the U.S. And it's just, it's the kind of place that the living is good. It's easy. The food's good. Girls are cute. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to beat Shenzhen, in my opinion. I agree. Like I, I just go downstairs and uh, draw something on a piece of paper, even f- even for some of our setup uh, in our, you know, our own apartments or houses. Or you can just make stuff in like a day. They'll and they'll install it, and they're they're, they're not afraid to like kind of get involved with the project and and give their uh, their their feedback. Well, uh, but it's pretty pretty cool. So I know. Kind of just some of my own notes when you were speaking at the uh, at generator conference with bootstrapping. I've I know I've heard you a few times talking about you know keeping the equity for for founders and and trying to bootstrap. Maybe that would be a, an interesting topic of um, some some ideas for people to when they're considering funding or bootstrapping or or kind of getting through those those uh, tough times of the company cash flow. Yeah. So uh, this is something that. You know, I think bootstrapping a company is really the best way to do it. If, you're, if your idea is good, there's definitely a way for you to monetize that from an, from an early stage. Like with MakerBot, I mean, we, you know, granted we did do the standard funding round, but because we were profitable and because we had an income stream where we could show that we were growing and we could show, you know, this, this profitability, we just had a killer position to negotiate from. And we really got a good deal on, on every round that we did. You know, for hardware businesses, I think it's a lot easier because you're selling stuff. And so as soon as you have a product, you can start selling it and shipping it. And, you know, I guess for what we were doing, we did it a little bit differently from the way it's done these days. So like this day and age, you go on Kickstarter and you say, here's the product we want to build. And then you get a bunch of money and then you go build it. And so it's kind of this really like sporadic income stream. Whereas we we kind of approached it from the other way saying like, hey, we want to build this, this you know, we have this big long-term goal of building a desktop 3D printer and we want to be a part of the community when we want to help other people build it. And so, you know, we just started going out and sourcing components, which is something you're going to need to do regardless if you're building a, a product. And so we would find motors and plastics and linear drive rods and, and we had our electronics and we would just start selling stuff as soon as, as soon as we had it. And, you know, this allowed us to really start just building that income stream and that and if you're going to bootstrap it's really all about this this flow you're you know the money coming in the money going out and making sure that you know if you do have a burn rate that it's it's manageable and you have a plan for for getting to positive and uh, in other areas it's probably harder but I still think it's it's doable I mean People have been starting businesses from scratch for time immemorial, and VCs have not always been around to kind of 
make that happen. So, you know, I think uh, a lot of it is just thinking, all right, how can I make money today? And, and how can I get some cash in the pocket? And is there a way for me to do that in a way that's going to kind of push the business forward in terms of like infrastructure or connections or product development? Like with MakerBot, you know, we were selling all these subcomponents and subparts and it allowed us to really build out our shopping cart software, build out our fulfillment procedures, build out our kit making stuff, build out our supply chain. And so by the time we got to a, a full product, you know, we had all of that stuff under our belt instead of, you know, like with with Kickstarters now, you know, they have to like design the whole thing and then deal with manufacturing and then deal with fulfillment and stuff. And so, you know, it's like doing all of these new things all at one time instead of all right, okay, well, we've been doing fulfillment for three months and we kind of figured out how to do all that. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my personal experience with bootstrapping. And then, you know, on the VC side of things, it's really just adding fuel to the fire. You know, you if you have something good going, adding VC money is is going to allow you to kind of step up your game and hire people to kind of keep doing what, what you're doing well already. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I like the idea of selling the smaller pieces instead of like, yeah, it's true with Kickstarter, everybody's going for the big, the big idea. But I look at some Kickstarters and they always have a lot of different smaller choices. I wonder if there's data about that, how much of the big stuff versus the small stuff sells, but sometimes having the small pieces could actually help, help businesses. So we're, you know, we're talking about hardware and let's talk about the future. What do you think about, you know, 10, 20 years, um, we can talk, of course, there's 3D printing and I'm not as much of a hardware guy as, as, uh, as many, but what, what, what's some insights you can share with people for the future? Oh yeah. This is the part of it where I get yeah. to just make stuff up and yeah. see if people will buy it. So, you know, I mean, I see a, a few trends that are, that are out there that seem to be things that could have a big change long-term. Uh, I mean, 3D printing is a huge part of it. And in particular, there's a lot of patents that are expiring. And so, you know, there's effectively some monopolies on certain types of 3D printing technology. And as a result of that, a lot of the machine costs, a lot of the material costs are, are inflated. They're, they're artificially high because, you know, the guy that owns that can force you to use their material. Otherwise, your $100,000 machine is no longer in warranty. And so, you know, what I hope is going to happen is that these machines become much more accessible. And right now, there are some limited uses for 3D printers, like the high-end ones in, in direct manufacturing. But because of the high cost of materials and the machines, it's, it's not really practical to be doing production runs on those machines. But, you know, I mean, a selective laser centering machine basically just uses powdered nylon or powdered steel. And, you know, the raw material of powdered nylon or powdered steel is not much more expensive than pelletized injection molding grade nylon. You know, so so there's it doesn't make much sense there. And, you know, the machine around that is going these days for a few hundred thousand dollars. But, you know, there's really not much more than about 10,000 bucks worth of componentry in there. 
And, you know, that gets to the level of an injection molding machine at that point in time. And so, granted, the 3D printing technologies are not nearly as fast as the kind of high volume mass manufacturing stuff, but it has, and there's a parallelism that you could do there with getting many of the same machines that are all cranking out parts. And, you know, of course, you're not going to want to do that for runs of hundreds of thousands of parts, but... You know, there's this really tricky part in hardware where you just want to make a few hundred, a couple thousand. And also, you know, you can get tooling done for that and it can work economically. But the other the other challenging thing there is, you know, if you only want to make a hundred or a few thousand of something, you're typically in this early stages of product design where you kind of just want to test your market. You want to you want to you're getting something new out there and and you want to remain agile and as soon as you commit to tooling you're locked in you know you you can't change the design if you do it's extremely expensive and time consuming and whatever and whereas if you're if you're still doing that as a digitally fabricated kind of thing well now you can just make the change and you know make sure all the engineers and process are all on the same page and then boom load the new file and now you're making the new part and so I think that is going to be a huge thing, applying the kind of software agile development practices to hardware is going to be something that'll become more prevalent in the future. That and just general increased automation of different things. So, you know, self-driving cars, I, I think that's going to be something that becomes ubiquitous within 20 years. The technology's out there, it's working, and now there's like regulatory stuff to get over and you know, maybe drones, I'm not sure. It just seems like the battery life seems like a fairly significant issue to overcome. You know, they, they don't really stay in the air for more than like 10 minutes, as far as I can tell. So that's certainly something that needs to be fixed if, if you want them flying around the city. And uh, things like robot arms and just, uh, you know, we have a lot of interesting technologies to make parts, but what do you do with those parts is, is usually hand them to a human to kind of fit the round peg into the round hole and, and screw it together. So yeah, I think those are, are a few things that are, are going to become more and more prevalent and, and more and more important. That's pretty cool. I, I'm still wondering about guns. Can, is that, is it possible to print a 3d gun? <laughs> oh yeah. People, people have been printing guns with, with these machines and, but, you know, I mean, you can make weapons out of pretty much anything. Yeah, you know, you can, sure. you can take a stick and sharpen it. And the uses to do cool, good things are yeah. completely outweigh the, the negative stuff. So, you know, I mean, there's definitely going to be some dumbasses that, that make weapons. But, you know, what are you going to do? I understand. I'm wondering, like, I guess if maybe the idea is just like an like a e-book you can maybe buy an e-product that's normally would be hardware and you download that file and then print it at your house, right? Like, I guess that's the, that's pretty exciting stuff. Also, I think for one of our, my final questions is advice for like, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are younger entrepreneurs, maybe at home in the U.S. or in, in the Western world and are excited to come over to China or Asia. What do you kind of advise them or, you know, would like to tell them? To, to, to get started. Yeah, I mean, if you want to come out here, I, I would say definitely do it. It's not for the 
faint-hearted. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff day to day that's just annoying or frustrating or whatever, but it's on the whole it's it's a big adventure and it really all depends on your attitude, you know. Like you can either get frustrated that you have to jump through certain hoops to like get a SIM card or you can just kind of look at it as like a scavenger hunt and then, you know, and and one of those attitudes is going to leave you grumpy and upset and the other attitude is going to leave you at the end being like, yeah, I, I won, you know, I got, I got, I, I completed the mission and got all this stuff done. But, you know, I would say uh, if you're going to come out here, figure out why it is that you're going to come out here and, and, and make sure you have a reason behind it. You know, then again, just hopping on a boat and going somewhere new and seeing what kind of opportunities are out there is is not not a bad plan at all either. I definitely don't think people will regret it. It's, you know, I think it's much much better than probably what they might normally do after college or, you know, in their home country. So and I think it really gives people more perspective. Also, if people want to like reach out to you, maybe Twitter, email or or uh websites. Yeah, uh, on Twitter I'm at Hoeken. H O E K E N is the is the handle I use online. Okay. All right. So thanks for being here, Zach, and uh, really great great interview. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks a bunch, Michael. Thanks so much, Zach, for being on the show and sharing. Again, this is the first episode of Long Series on Forbes China, talking about entrepreneurs here in China. And I'm excited to have this chance and opportunity to share the stories with everybody who wants to listen. All feedback and topics and future interviews suggestions are welcome, and I'd love to have you hear from you. I set up a page on my personal blog at mikesblog.com/forbes. Please fill out any information there and contact me. Thank you so much, guys, and see you soon. Mm-hmm.